there's going to be people um, of means who are going to travel, and then there's going to be people maybe of lesser means who might actually be able to use an, an Oculus or uh, a Magic Leap or some other kind of device uh, to travel to the same place, but from their own their own couch. But in many ways, it's actually going to create even more distance between those the, 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 those two people. That that psychologically, and I think that. We've experienced this through social media. In many ways, it's brought people closer in certain ways, but actually created this remarkable divide because it's even more visible, actually, the divide in certain ways. The young global leaders of the World Economic Forum are part of a strong community of young people willing to add value. We then not only act accordingly within our daily spheres of responsibilities, but we also act as a group within our common initiatives focused on some of the key challenges the world is facing today. Together, we can then contribute in bringing the fresh view of the younger generation in the shaping of the future, which is for us translated in the so-called Agenda 2030. The half an hour long conversation with Andrew Ross Sorkin, Albert Borla covering the new booster news, the antiviral, and he was also asked by Andrew about the anti-vaccine movement. He had this to say about the people who are deliberately spreading misinformation about vaccines. People that uh, want make money, some of them, by playing with the emotions of these people, are creating a whole uh, conspiracy theory and they are trying to basically to benefit and profit from this fear of the people. And this is who are the criminals. Now, he said the folks who are getting swept up by this misinformation, it's understandable that they may be afraid, but really saying that the people deliberately spreading misinformation, those people are essentially making criminal acts. Welcome, everybody, to NWCZRadio.com, Channel 1's Down the Rabbit Hole. It's the midweek edition. My name is Big D. I want to thank you very much for joining me for this midweek. I think we have a lot to go over. Well, I know we have a lot to go over in this episode. So buckle up. We've got a lot of clips for you, and we're going to go down the rabbit hole on things others have said. It's interesting when I meet people. And they ask me about our podcast and what it's about, what we talk about. When you <laughs> use the word conspiracy or we look at conspiracy theories or however you try to frame it, the immediate reaction is for those who don't know about conspiracies or who have only heard about conspiracies through mainstream media is doubt they think you're crazy. They think, oh, wow, he's one of those guys that's way out there because we're conditioned. We've been conditioned by mainstream media, by the government, that anything that goes outside of the norm, outside of the narrative is a conspiracy. And conspiracies, as we know, are dangerous. They're bad. They're a threat. They are not true. Nobody should be spreading them, which is why we see a lot of censorship these days. So, I try to explain to them that, no, what we look at and what we try to do is we dissect conspiracies, try to find and separate the truth from the fiction and the, and the facts and where it kind of goes off the rails, and we leave it up to interpretation of the listeners, people who w want to join in on the process and give you a jumping-off point. And I've been accused several times of saying things that aren't true or sort of exacerbating certain issues or pulling things out of context and so forth. So today, I don't want you to trust what I have to say. And you should always be skeptical. And you should always look up what we're talking about on your own. And we provide you with a lot of resources. I usually put a lot of the links, if not all of them, 
into the show notes and it gives you a place to see where we're finding this stuff and where we're gathering our information from. And again, we don't claim to be perfect. Sometimes we miss things or maybe misinterpret things. And we're open to that discussion, that debate, and or being corrected. Not above that. We don't pretend to have it all figured out. That's why we're doing this. That's why we're here. And I assume that's part of the reason you're here. Try to figure this all out. What is going on? Because usually when they say something is a conspiracy, what I've noticed is that there's actually some truth to whatever it is that's being talked about, and they're trying to misdirect or to put you into a category to where you aren't valid and what you have to say is considered crazy, and so they don't want any attention being drawn to whatever it is that you're questioning. One of the things that has come up in my research for a future show. I'm really digging hard into the education system. This is a designed byproduct of the education system. And I'm looking forward to doing that show. I think it's going to shock a lot of people. If you don't know the history of particularly the U.S. education, but I'll just say education in general around the world, why it's there, how it was set up, who funds it, who started it, all of that. It's pretty alarming when you really get down into the nuts and bolts. But that show's coming. That show is coming. And today, what I want to do is we're going to look at their words, what they said. So don't trust what I have to say. Let's trust what they have to say. They're the experts. They're the ones who are saying that we're all crazy, that they're not really up to anything. That they're just out for the good of mankind. They're out for the best. And they want the world to survive and thrive and be sustainable. And you've heard it all. So we're going to go through quite a few tracks. I tracked a bunch of these down. These are their words. These are things that they are saying on both sides. And I think that'll become evident and clear as we go through. So we're going to start off with a senator from Queensland. His name is Malcolm Roberts. Here's what he has to say. The World Economic Forum is meant to be dismissed as a so-called conspiracy theory. If that's the case, why is the federal Liberal Party copying its policies? Scott Morrison's so-called trusted digital identity bill is a copy-paste directly from the World Economic Forum's global digital identity project. It's designed to shift the global economy away from private ownership into what the World Economic Forum calls an access model where you own nothing and instead rent goods and services from the world's billionaires and billionaire corporations. In other words, the goal of digital identity is a life via subscription. In their eyes, this will help the world live sustainably. But in reality, it's a form of slavery to a closed loop economy where you have less and the rich have more, way more. Yeah, so it's weird that Malcolm Roberts is noticing that. And like I said, he is a, a senator in Queensland and you wonder where he's getting that. Maybe he's crazy. Maybe he's a conspiracy theorist. Well, this is Ida Aachen, and she is with the World Economic Forum giving a speech. She's one of the contributors, and she's also one who bends Klaus Schwab's ear quite a bit. Here's what she had to say about that topic. Every product is a service waiting to happen. If you think about it, I mean, your cell phone, why, why do you want to own your cell phone? Does, how, how many of you own your cell phones? How many knows if the company owns it? It's actually not a lot. I mean, you want, the, you want the function, you want the service, right? Why do you want to own a cell phone if you can just lease it? And if you lease, why, why shouldn't you lease your refrigerator or your washing machine or your dishwasher? Or why do you want to own it? I mean, it's not like the plastic in the middle is like, you, I own a, a broke dishwasher. I mean, wow. No, why don't you want to go into a business model where the company owns it? You know what happens when the company owns it? Actually, they can bring down the prices because they don't have to buy new metal and new plastic. They design a much better product. It lasts a lot longer if they have to pick it up when it breaks. They might even send somebody to fix it. And, uh, and in the end, um, they will do a better product and you will get a lower price. It's much cheaper to lease a washing machine if you get, in, if you get the business model right because you don't have to own all of this. So this 
change from product to service is pushing a lot of this, uh, of the circular economy, because the second the business owns the products, they start designing them in a way where everything can be taken out and reused. And then you get the incentives rights. Or, on the flip side, they could deny you those services. They can take them away. They cannot allow you to have them. They could jack up the price. If you don't own it, you don't control it. They do. That's one of the many clips where I believe Malcolm Roberts is discovering this idea that you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Currently, the Committee on Parties, better known as the World Climate Action Summit, is going on. King Charles is there, and these are his thoughts. How can we accelerate innovation and the deployment of renewable energy, of clean technology and other green alternatives to move decisively towards investment in this vital transition across all industries? And how can those which have a perverse impact be eliminated with all due speed? Yeah, so if you aren't in with the program, and if you're not in on the changing over, you need to be eliminated. He's talking about businesses, he's talking about people, he's talking about industry. If you're not in on the game, if you're not with them, you need to be eliminated quick, fast. It's all got to be done very, very fast. This is Tony Blair, and he would like to inform you about digital IDs. Do you think the, the antipathy and the suspicion people had about ID cards in your era could now evaporate when you present people with it as, a, as freedom from quarantine and lockdown? It's an obvious thing to move in the direction of digital ID because it's an enabler for people, not just, by the way, in relation to COVID-19 and coronavirus. It's, it's a huge enabler in respect of interaction with government. But for this purpose of the disease, yes, especially by the ways you get vaccination coming in, once they start coming into use, you're going to want a record of, of the fact you've been vaccinated. You mm -hmm. want a record kept by the government of who has been vaccinated. I mean, this will be essential, again, to restoring confidence. Yeah, digital IDs. You, you're going to want a record because otherwise you wouldn't know. If it's a digital ID and the government is controlling the digital IDs, who actually wants the information there, Tony? That's Tony Blair. Those are his words, not mine. Let's move on to Dr. Patrick Moore. He's the co-founder of Greenpeace. And there's been a lot of talk lately about the Green New Deal, which has been flipped over to other titles simply because the Green New Deal has become kind of a laughingstock. A lot of people have figured it out, but they're just shifting the goalposts. This is Dr. Patrick Moore, again, co-founder of Greenpeace. His thoughts on just exactly what is this thing. There's a lot of talk now in the United States about this Green New Deal. Uh, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to look at that, but what are your thoughts? Are, is this a good idea, or are we in trouble, or what's the plan? Well, it's a recipe for mass suicide. Uh, it's just quite amazing that someone that is in government, actually elected to the government of the United States of America, would propose that we eliminate all fossil fuels in 12 years. <laughs> this would basically result, if we did it on a global level, it would result in the decimation of the human population from seven odd billion down to who knows how few people. I mean, it would, it would basically begin a process of cannibalization amongst the human species because the food could not be delivered to the stores in the middle of the cities anymore. How would this, even just that at one point. The, the point that bothers me the most is if you eliminated fossil fuels, every tree in the world would be cut for fuel. There's no other source of heating and cooking once you eliminate fossil fuels. You can use animal dung if there were any animals left, but there, the animals would all die too because, well, first off, they would all get eaten and any that survived would be, have to go wild because there'd be nobody left to look after them. I mean, it's the most ridiculous scenario I've ever heard. People recognize when something is preposterous, and I think that's the best word for it. Well, the best word for it is actually mass suicidal. But why would anyone vote for something that was going to result in the death of nearly all humans on Earth? Good question. Why? Why would they? I wonder if that fits the agenda. I wonder if that's part of the goal. I wonder if that's one of the things they're working towards. Or maybe, yeah, maybe we're just all out of line. We shouldn't 
think that way. We shouldn't think that they think that way. And we certainly shouldn't listen to what they're having to say about it. This is Christia Freeland. Don't know if you know who she is. She's Deputy Prime Minister of Canada. She's usually attached at the hip of Justin Trudeau whenever he's given a speech. You see her all the time. She's the one that during the truckers wanted, she's the one that locked them all out of their bank accounts and justified it, called everybody crazy who didn't go along with the government. She was given a graduation speech, and this is what she had to say about democracy. Our time of tranquility is over, and we are living in an age of change. We're living through what President Biden, on a visit to my country in March, called an inflection point. A time of transformation, he said, that comes once every five or six generations. Now, like it or not, you are graduating into that inflection point. What is this inflection point? What is this upheaval which is going to the roots of humanity itself? There are many ways to describe this transformational moment, but I think they all come down to one fundamental question. Does capitalist democracy still work? That's the question being posed around kitchen tables in my country and this one as parents wonder if our children can count on capitalist democracy's essential promise of a future more prosperous than our present? It is the question being posed by our shrinking glaciers and our warming oceans, which are asking us, wordlessly but emphatically, if democratic societies can rise to the existential challenge of climate change. Hmm. I wonder what her answer to that question is. She never really gives it. I think she implies it there. I've not had that conversation around my table. I've never heard the glaciers or the... Well, she did say wordless, but I haven't felt any conversation coming from the trees and the, the mountains and so forth. I'm not sure they're capable of that because they're inanimate objects. However, that's Christian Freeland. These are all government and world leaders who are spouting this stuff up. This, I'm not saying this. This is what they're saying. So believe them. Don't believe me. Speaking of world leaders, this is the former prime minister of New Zealand. She wants you to know that free speech is a new weapon of war. This week we launched an initiative alongside companies and nonprofits to help improve research and understanding of how a person's online experiences are curated by automated processes. This will also be important in understanding more about mis- and disinformation online, a challenge that we must as leaders address. As leaders, we're rightly concerned that even the most light-touch approaches to disinformation could be misinterpreted as being hostile to the values of free speech that we value so highly. But while I cannot tell you today what the answer is to this challenge, I can say with complete certainty that we cannot ignore it. To do so poses an equal threat to the norms we all value. After all, how do you successfully end a war if people are led to believe the reason for its existence is not only legal, but noble? How do you tackle climate change if people do not believe it exists? How do you ensure the human rights of others are upheld when they are subjected to hateful and dangerous rhetoric and ideology? The weapons may be different, but the goals of those who perpetuate them is often the same, to cause chaos and reduce the ability of others to defend themselves. But we have an opportunity here to ensure that these particular weapons of war do not become an established part of warfare. We are facing many battles on many fronts, but there is cause for optimism because for every new weapon we face, there is a new tool to overcome it. For every attempt to push the world into chaos is a collective conviction to bring us back to order. We have the means, we just need the collective will. Hmm. So what order is she talking about? What would that order be? If you followed at all during the COVID crisis and you saw how she ran New Zealand, the order was the government was God. They were the arbiters of truth. 
all information was to come from them. She locked down everybody. She ran it like a prison island. So free speech, free ideas, free thoughts. Those are the new weapons of war. Misinformation, as they put it. That's Jacinda Arlen. Now, this is the German MP Joachim Kuss. It's K-U-H-S. Not sure how to pronounce that. And he's speaking at the European Parliament. One of the major considerations for people, whether or not to take a vaccine, is the possible risks and side effects. Ima mentioned in its letter to us, they expect, I quote, reports of conditions occurring at, at or soon after vaccination, end quote. This implies that data on adverse events or side effects within 14 days of vaccinations are, the are of the utmost importance to assess the risks related to the vaccines. However, member state officials adopted the policy that as it would take 10 to 14 days for the vaccine to produce spike proteins, adverse events within 14 days after vaccination were not to be registered as related to the vaccination. Statistically, they considered the person who got the vaccine as not vaccinated within those first 14 days. What a nonsense. Government policies and also governmental media campaigns to promote COVID vaccinations are thus leaving out the risks and side effects that might occur in those first 14 days. Most allergic reactions occur within 20 minutes to two hours after getting into contact with the allergen. Side effects of regular vaccines our children get normally occur within one to two days. But yet, somehow, they just invented this 14 days story to create this fake feeling of security and reducing the amounts of registered side effects. And that's my impression, they did it because they knew from the reports of Pfizer and Moderna and so on, that many and severe side effects will come. Wait a minute. They manipulated data, they lied, they covered up, and they mandated vaccines that weren't safe? Come on. He said that. Not me. Well, actually, I have said that many times <laughs> on this program. But people are now catching up. That's the German MP, and he was speaking at the European Parliament. Now, another thing I've talked about on this program is this idea of spreading vaccines through mosquitoes. Some people believe, and I've seen clips, that they're modifying mosquitoes uh, like digitally. They're making like these little digital, almost like nanobot mosquitoes, but it's way more nefarious than that. This idea that they're going to unleash mosquitoes on everybody and that they're going to vaccinate us through them or they're going to inject things into us through a mosquito program is laughable to most people. It's insane. It doesn't even make sense. While Bill Gates is pumping a bunch of money into what is titled the World Mosquito Program. I'm Scott O'Neill here in Medellin, Colombia today, and I'm at the world's biggest mosquito factory for the World Mosquito Program. We're making in here 30 million mosquitoes a week. Come have a look. We're doing it for a very serious reason. Cities like Medellin have suffered from diseases like dengue, Zika, chikungunya for decades, but not anymore. We've been able to bring the solution of Wolbachia mosquitoes to this city. When this bacteria called Wolbachia gets introduced into the mosquito, it stops their ability to transmit dengue. We release mosquitoes that have Wolbachia, and then they go and mate, and Wolbachia gets passed into the wild mosquito population. If we're going to control these diseases in all the tropical cities of the world, um, it's going to require a lot of mosquitoes. The mosquito life cycle starts with the egg, and in this room, we've got a lot of eggs. Each one of these strips, these tiny black dots, are up to 10,000 mosquito eggs. Across all of these strips, about one and a half million dried eggs waiting to hatch. In this tray, we've got the newly hatched eggs. They're little larvae, so small you can hardly see them. 
They're going to sit in here for a few days and eat and get bigger until they look like these ones over here. They're starting to turn into pupae. We're wanting to do the next step of sorting, sorting the males from the females. We want to do that so we can manipulate the sex ratio in the cages to be more female than male. The bottom ones along here are the boys and the ones at the top are the girls. They're bigger. From here, they're going into the adult cages. We have adults that we continuously grow in what we call our brood stock. And then over here, we have the mass-produced mosquitoes getting ready to give us the eggs to go out directly into the field. It's crazy how they sound. You might wonder, what do we feed all these mosquitoes here? Well, I can tell you, we've got the good stuff in here. On the top shelf, literally, we've got the blood. They love it. Once the mosquitoes are grown, they're ready to go out into the field. The first way is to get the eggs and package them in a gelatin capsule with food. Voila. There's 300 eggs in here and enough food for the mosquitoes to be able to grow. They just need to be dropped in water. The other approach is to take the adults themselves. Here we have 300 and they can be released off the back of a motorbike or even packaged into a drone for aerial release. Over half the world's population is currently suffering or at risk of contracting these diseases. We have a solution and our goal is to scale and deliver it to communities around the world that need it. Mm. Communities that need it, that need mosquitoes flying around, canceling each other out, and oh, by the way, biting you and injecting you with whatever it is that they are tampering into their DNA with. And you can't see that video, obviously, it's just the audio, but it shows them injecting things into the mosquitoes. And it's a good thing that's not happening because I, I've been told that's crazy and, and that that's like that's sci-fi and there's no way that's going on anywhere. It just doesn't happen. In fact, my wife said, it was, isn't that incredibly illegal? Well, it should be, but you notice where they do these things it's always in some third world country or in some extremely corrupt country with some dictator and they go in and they pay that person off that person doesn't care obviously about population of their country so they pay him a bunch of money they allow him to set up shop and they use their people as guinea pigs as long as they're either probably inoculated i would imagine i don't know that for a fact but they're certainly getting a lot of money from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and whoever else is involved to pull this stuff off. So that's the World Mosquito Program coming soon to a pond near you. Let's go to our good friend Klaus Schwab. We are in a very emotionalized way. So there's an emotional turmoil in the world. People in some parts of the world are angry. Facts do not anymore count. Fake news may become more important than realities. You have this anti-system movement. What we are seeing is a revolution against the system. So fixing the present system is not enough. Now there is, of course, a anti-system, which is called libertarianism, which means to tear down everything which creates some kind of influence of government into private lives. If we want to go forward, we need a completely new thinking. Oh, man, what he says there is amazing. According to him, libertarianism, which is basically freedom, is a threat to the government, so they have to devise a new plan. And they're going to have to figure it out to get people to comply to more government. Because with more government, you get more world mosquito programs. And you get all the other things that they're out to take away from us or provide for us that we don't want. Because people aren't going along, that's a threat to them. And he labels that as libertarianism, which I think is funny. I do think that's hilarious because that's not what libertarianism is. 
However, that's his definition of it, and it's a threat. It's a new way of thinking, don't you see? It's a new way of thinking, and they're, they're stumped by it. they got to figure out how to get around it. So at the World Government Summit, there's a contributor named Pippa Malmgren. She's from the World Economic Forum. She's a contributor over there, and she wants you to know this. What underpins a world order is always the financial system. And what we're seeing in the world today, I think, is we are on the brink of a dramatic change where we are about to, and I'll say this boldly, we're about to abandon the traditional system of money and accounting and introduce a new one. And the new one, the new accounting, is what we call blockchain. It means digital. It means having an almost perfect record of every single transaction that happens in the economy, which will give us far greater clarity over what's going on. It also raises huge dangers in terms of the balance of power between states and citizens. Most people think that digital money is crypto and private, but what I see are superpowers introducing digital currency. The Chinese were the first. The U.S. is on the brink, I think, of moving in the same direction. The Europeans have committed to that as well. Central bank digital currencies coming your way. I didn't say that. She did. Last month, the U.N. General Assembly adopted a political declaration on pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response, underscoring their commitment to meet shared threats with a shared response. The COVID-19 pandemic appended lives and livelihoods, disrupting societies and economies, and exposed and exacerbated political fault lines within and between nations. It eroded trust between people, governments, and institutions, fueled by a torrent of mis- and disinformation. And it laid bare the searing inequalities of our world, with the poorest and most vulnerable communities the hardest hit. The next pandemic is not a question of if, but of when. All right, well, that's Tedros. That's Dr. Tedros. He's the head of the World Health Organization. He's letting you know that it's not a question of if, but when. Wonder what they know. Wonder what they know about the next pandemic. I wonder if they know when it's going to hit. There's no question that it's coming, according to him. All right, let's go to our good friend Yuval Noah Harai. You all know him. I've played him several times here on the show. He's written several books. He is a contributor and uh, one of the high-ranking members of the World Economic Forum, and he would like you to know this. In the book, if I understand it correctly, you argue that actually the amazing breakthrough that uh, we are experiencing right now, not only will potentially make our life better, but uh, they will create, and I quote you, new classes and new class struggles, just as the Industrial Revolution did. Can you elaborate for us? Yes, in the Industrial Revolution, we saw the uh, creation of a new class of the urban proletariat, and much of the political and social history of the last 200 years involved what to do with this class and the new problems and opportunities. Now, we see the creation of a new massive class of useless people. As computers become better and better in more and more fields, there is a distinct possibility that computers will outperform us in most tasks and will make humans redundant. And then the big political and economic question of the 21st century will be, what do we need humans for? Or at least, what do we need so many humans for? Do you have an answer in the book? Um, at present, the best guess we have is uh, keep them happy with drugs and computer games. Hmm. What do you do with your free time? <laughs> if this is their goal, if this is what they're thinking, are you falling into that trap? Are you being creative? Do you have a hobby? Do you work on things you enjoy? Do you create? Or do you just play video games and drug yourself up? But we know that's happening a lot in the world, and that's by design. It's amazing to hear them say it out of their own mouths. You've all know Harai right there. So if there's less humans on the planet, which we know is that goes way back to the Club of Rome, and it's been with us for a long time, this idea of reducing humanity. 
hey, if there's not as many humans, we should be able to travel. We should have a lot of luxuries for those of us who survive and hang out and get to be here. We, we get so privileged to enjoy this earth with way less people. Uh, no, this is a World Economic Forum travel advisor. There's going to be people um, of means who are going to travel. And then there's going to be people maybe who are of lesser means who might actually be able to use an, an Oculus or uh, a Magic Leap or some other kind of device uh, to travel to the same place, but from their own, their own couch. But in many ways, it's actually going to create even more distance between those, the, 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 those two people that, that psychologically, and I think that we've experienced this through social media, in many ways, it's brought people closer in certain ways, but actually created this remarkable divide because there's, it's even more visible actually the divide in certain ways <laughs> get ready to travel by oculus put on those 3d goggles put on the virtual reality goggles set yourself up for a fine vacation so you can just sit on the couch pretend it's a video game take some drugs as you've all know harai has told us that's how they want it to work just trip out go on vacation it'd be just like it's just like the real thing you can go anywhere just hop into the meta the metaverse and off you go. But how do you decide? How, how would you even know where to go? How would you even know what to do? You can't think for yourself because you're a dumb human. Already today, billions of people trust the Facebook algorithm to tell us what is new. The Google algorithm tells us what is true. In the not so distant future, similar algorithms might tell us where to work and whom to marry and also decide whether to hire us for a job, whether to give us a loan, and whether the central bank should raise the interest rate. And if you ask why you were not given a loan, or why the bank didn't raise the interest rate, the answer will always be the same. Because the computer says no. And since the limited human brain lacks sufficient biological knowledge, computing power, and data, humans will simply not be able to understand the computer's decisions. So even in supposedly free countries, humans are likely to lose control over our own lives and also lose the ability to understand public policy. Now, we humans are used to thinking about life as a drama of decision-making. What will be the meaning of human life when most decisions are taken by algorithms? We don't even have philosophical models to understand such an existence. The means to create heaven or hell, but the philosophers are having trouble conceptualizing what the new heaven and the new hell will look like. So humans are not going to be able to understand you and I, we're not going to be able to understand the decisions of the government or the decisions being made for us by AI, because that's how, how can we make our own decisions? We're just, we're knuckle-dragging humans. We're, we're, not, we're incapable of that because we've handed over all of our decision-making to Google, to Facebook, to all these AI-generated suggestions via your phone, your iPad, what, however you're getting your information, if it's digital, it's being controlled by somebody, someone. And ultimately, it's being controlled by the elites. The good news is the elites across the world trust each other more and more. So we can come together and design and do beautiful things together. The bad news is that in every single country they were polling, the majority of people trusted that elite less. So we can lead, but if people aren't following, we're not going to, to get to where we want to go. Yeah, so the elites, and, and that, by the way, is Nagari Woods. She's with the World Economic Forum, of course, and she was giving a talk on this crisis in the elites because the elites have it all figured out. It's just the people aren't going along. If we would just understand that the elites have it figured out and that the elites are on top of it and the elites have the plan, then everything would just fall into place. 
But they're actually not. Come on. They're not working on this stuff. The elites are not sitting around plotting things out. They're not taking it back to governments and trying to dictate how governments move in the future. That's not happening. The young global leaders of the World Economic Forum are part of a strong community of young people willing to add value. We then not only act accordingly within our daily spheres of responsibilities, but we also act as a group within our common initiatives focused on some of the key challenges the world is facing today. Together, we can then contribute in bringing the fresh view of the younger generation in the shaping of the future, which is for us translated in the so-called Agenda 2030. Hmm. Who is that? Well, that's Christoph Beck, and he is one of the leaders of the World Economic Forum Young Global Leaders Initiatives. He is the former executive of Nestle, and he is the CEO of Echolab, letting you know that that's exactly what they're doing, training these young global leaders in the World Economic Forum to take the agenda and their ideas back to their countries to implement essentially Agenda 2030. Was Agenda 21, then it was 25, now it's 2030, and we'll see how that plays out. It may get kicked down the road as well because they're well off their goals, thankfully, in my opinion. But they never, ever stop. Do you remember Albert Borla? He is the Pfizer CEO. Well, he has some thoughts for you if you dare think different about his vaccine. The half an hour long conversation with Andrew Ross Sorkin, Albert Borla covering the new booster news, the antiviral. And he was also asked by Andrew about the anti-vaccine movement. He had this to say about the people who are deliberately spreading misinformation about vaccines. People that uh, won't make money, some of them, by playing with the emotions of these people are creating a whole uh, conspiracy theory and they are trying to basically to benefit and profit from this fear of the people. And this is who are the criminals. Now, he said the folks who are getting swept up by this misinformation, it's understandable that they may be afraid, but really saying that the people deliberately spreading misinformation, those people are essentially making criminal acts. Hmm. Criminal act. So if you think different and you, I don't know, have emotions or or fear or any kind of questions about the vaccine or any of the boosters, you're committing a criminal act, you see, because you should not be thinking, shouldn't think critically, shouldn't ask questions. I'm not telling you whether you should or shouldn't get it. I'm just saying do some research, do a lot of research. But I just have to say, on a side note, if you've ever seen a commercial, and especially recently, and during COVID as well, about getting the vaccine, that's all it was, was filled with fear and emotion that if you didn't get it, you were certainly going to die. And if you didn't get the vaccine, well, you should be ostracized and you should be kicked out of polite society and you should be banned from your job and you shouldn't be allowed in grocery stores or any kind of store. You shouldn't even be outside. In fact, you should be in another room from the rest of your family. So pretty rich, <laughs> in my opinion, to hear Albert Borla talk about, oh, people are getting you know, playing on emotions and, and fear. So we shouldn't pay attention to them. So we've talked a little bit here on the program every now and then about the food issue, about farming and so forth. This is Alex Newman. They're using every kind of pretext you can possibly imagine to seize massive amounts of land, whether it's the Endangered Species Act, oh, there might be an owl on your property somewhere, or it's the carbon capture. We gotta get CO2 under, so we gotta build these huge pipelines, so we have to take thousands and thousands of the best acres of farmland out of production. Uh, but the same things are happening all over the world, and that, that's one of the things I wanted to emphasize in my brief little introduction. Uh, they are taking massive amounts of land everywhere in the world, and they're using different pretexts. In Brazil, they were saying they were gonna give the land back to the Indians. 
Indians. In South Africa, they were doing expropriation without compensation. They want to add it into the Constitution now under the guise of racial justice. Um, in the United States, it has to do with environment, climate, uh, endangered species, things like that. In China, they don't even need an excuse. Just get off the land or we're going to shoot you. Right? Um, and, and so the same thing is happening all over the world using different pretexts, but I think the objective is always the same. Like she said, remove people off of the land so that you can remove their freedom so you can bring them under control. And just one thing to add on that, using the Netherlands, all these regulations, the climate compliance regulations, all go after the small, medium, uh, family-run, generational, small business farms. And once you replace it with the big corporate entities, you get you can have corporate government collusion that will go along with this agenda. In the case of uh, reducing high, there's a war on high agricultural yields, going after nitrous oxide, etc. It's the same way COVID lockdowns affected the small businesses, and you know, meanwhile the corporate chains could survive. They want the crushing of small business because that's how you're going to fight back the, the small independent. Corporate and government are colluding in one voice on all of this, and we're seeing it with the cars, by the way, too. They're, um, the World Bank is it going to fund cars. Corporate banks aren't going to give out car loans. You have uh, all of this is done without a vote. The most consequential decisions, whether we can eat meat, high yield agriculture, buy a gas powered car, is all being decided between corporate, government, executive, bypassing democracy like a COVID lockdown. We didn't vote for mask mandates or vac vaccine mandates or lockdowns. Yeah, so that second voice in there was Mark Morano. That's Alex Newman and Mark Morano talking about farms and talking about a lot of things we've talked about. And, well, they said it, not me. So don't blame me for bringing you that. Okay, a lot of people talk about the media. And I get this from a lot of my friends and a lot of people. You know, what's wrong with the media? The media's been with us for a long time. Nobody's controlling the media. Every, they're all independent outlets, and there, there's no overriding diktats coming down to the media. It's just not happening. That, that is a massive conspiracy. It just doesn't exist. There are those who believe the American media moves in lockstep with some kind of agenda. I can only say that if we were that organized, then maybe at our next meeting we could put together a code of conduct for fixing this crisis. But there are no meetings. There are no meetings. There are no meetings. Very important is the media leaders. I think every fifth participant is a media leader. President CEO of Thomson Reuters. Chairman and Chief Executive of News Corporation. Associate Editor of the Washington Post. Senior Vice President at CNN. The World Economic Forum has been instrumental in this and in actually bringing together representatives of whether it's Google or Facebook, Twitter and others, and members of the International Media Council here at the World Economic Forum. That's why it's been such a strong convening power. Deputy Managing Editor of the New York Times. Business Editor of The Economist. Executive Chairman of Bloomberg. The Editor-in-Chief of The Wall Street Journal. We love to blame the media because they make this happen, they make that happen, and, and you guys forget, we don't print the truth, we print what people tell us. Economics Editor of The Guardian Newspaper in London. The World Editor at BuzzFeed News. Editor of The Financial Times. Director of News for the BBC. To some people watching this, they're going to be saying, well, hang on a second. You guys, you're experts, you're institutional, you're mainstream media, you've got an agenda, you're part of these institutions that I didn't vote for. Editor-in-chief of Foreign Policy magazine. Editor-in-chief of Wired magazine. Editor-in-chief of National Geographic magazine. We're on the board of the World Economic Forum together. We're trustees of the World Economic Forum. We're not here just to make money. We're not just here to manipulate other people or to get our way. We're here to improve the world and to love each other. Managing Director of the Boston Globe Media Partners. Executive Producer at Channel News Asia. Moderator and host coming from CCTV News. Host of a daily political program on CBC. We're seeing a corruption of democracy dominated by plutocratic donors and owners of the media who can manipulate opinion. Senior Editor at NHK Public Television. Head of the Research and Studies Unit at Arab News. Senior editor at Euronews. Editor-in-chief of the Straits Times. What can the media do better in order to create understanding and support for your agenda? But there are no meetings. Yeah, there are no meetings. All those people that you heard chiming in there, telling where they were from, they were all checking in at the World Economic Forum. These are the same people that go to the Bilderberg meetings. <laughs> <laughs> but there's no meeting. There, there's no collective guidance for the, the media. They're just doing their independent job. They're just reporting the news, right? So a lot of times we talk about predictive programming. 
We talk about, you know, they say the quiet part out loud. Well, I thought this was interesting. This is from Mariana Mazzucato. She is talking about the next crisis. How can we get the next crisis to achieve the goals that wasn't achieved during COVID and other crises? See if you catch what she's saying here. That's also, of course, true with COVID, right? We are all only as healthy as our neighbor is on our street, in our city, in our region, in our nation, and globally. And did we solve that? Like, did we actually manage to vaccinate everyone in the world? No. So highlighting water as a global commons and what it means to work together and see it both out of that kind of global commons perspective, but also the self-interest perspective, because it is it does have that parallel. It's not only important, but it's also important because we haven't managed <laughs> to solve those problems which had similar attributes. And water is something that people understand. You know, climate change is a bit abstract. Some people understand it really well. Some understand it a bit. Some just don't understand it. Water, every kid knows how important it is to have water. When you're playing football and you're thirsty, you need water. So there's also something about really getting citizen engagement around this and really in some ways experimenting with this notion of the common good. Can we actually deliver this time in ways that we have failed miserably other times? And hopefully we won't keep failing on the other things, but anyway. wonder what they were failing on. What, what did they need to direct everybody into the common good for? And, and what does water have to do with it? Could that be, I don't know, used as the next crisis? Because as she said, everybody relates to water. Everybody needs water. They didn't accomplish their goals in the other crisis. Hmm. She said it, not me. I would like to make some betting with you. When we meet for the 20th, I hope I will have the pleasure still to be invited for the meeting. When we meet for the 20th governance summit, you will use an app like Uber, but not anymore to call some driver but a automatically guided car, a self-driven car, will come to your hotel or wherever you are and will bring you to the airport. Actually, I had a discussion some months ago with the mayor of Los Angeles, and you know Los Angeles is one of the cities with the heaviest traffic, who told me in 2030, Los Angeles will be private car driven free. And this will allow to transform highways into parks and other public spheres. Okay, so if this is true, and if you are going to use an app to get some driverless car to come pick you up, and there's no private owned cars in Los Angeles, and they're turning all the freeways into parks and green spaces a where are the driverless cars gonna drive to and b doesn't that sound an awful lot like there will only be a certain amount of people who are allowed to move around because if you're turning all the freeways into parks and green spaces and you only have these driverless cars only so many of them can take so many people so many places that's klaus schwab and that was actually from 2015 at the World Government Summit, just to show you that this has been going on for quite some time. In fact, it goes further back than that. Let's go back to 1992. This is October 21st, because in June 92, they had the Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. And that is where they concocted a lot of this uh, sustainability program and so forth. Well, this is a younger Nancy Pelosi in October 21st, 1992, She's bringing this to the United States. Uh, the Earth Summit Environmental Leadership Act, as this is known, presents us with an opportunity to follow up on the important work of the Earth Summit to develop its blueprint, Agenda 21, for envir global environmental action. HCON Res 353 outlines a comprehensive national strategy for sustainable development in accordance with the principles of Agenda 21 to be coordinated under the leadership of a specific office and at the direction of a high-level government official. The resolution also urges the United States to identify and initiate further agreements to protect the global environment and to support the creation of a high-level United Nations Sustainable Development Commission headed by an Undersecretary General. 
Third and lastly, the President is urged to report to Congress on the progress made on the, uh, with this action. Yes. HConres 353 is supported by the Administration. I have been in contact with the appropriate offices of the State Department and have incorporated their suggestions into the resolution. The 71 co-sponsors uh, of this measure include one half the members of the Foreign Affairs Committee and all of the uh, House delegates to the Earth Summit. It is also supported by the major United States non-governmental organizations uh, concerned with the environmental issues. The Earth Summit pre uh, presented world leaders with an opportunity that should not be lost. We must now embark on a new course that will sustain our planet and its resources for the benefit of future generations. So that was regarding Agenda 21, which of course we've talked about has been morphed into Agenda 25 and now Agenda 2030. And it's off course because while they can't get the sheep, us, to go along with it wholeheartedly, they're using scare tactics, they're using manipulation, they're using propaganda, they're using every means possible to get everybody on board. But obviously it's not taking a strong enough foothold and it's dragging a bit and they're getting tired of it. But that's from 1992. It's Nancy Pelosi. So what do you do? What's, what's the answer? How do we get everybody on board? Well, we start this. Three, two, one. King Charles helped turn on a climate clock at a summit in London this afternoon. It triggers 150 similar clocks across the major cities of the UK, counting down the seconds to 2030. The estimated deadline for limiting climate change to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels. But the UK's climate watchdog had a stern warning for the government today. The Climate Change Committee said its confidence that the government would meet its own legally binding targets for cutting emissions by the end of the decade had fallen markedly. Yeah, so essentially you set up doomsday clocks. That's what I'll call them. Doomsday clocks all around England so that everywhere you go, you're staring at this countdown to 2030. Should we all be alive? 2030 is going to definitely be an interesting year. There's no doubt about it. I'm actually looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a circus show. You can feel the tension. You can feel everybody. All these people who are involved in World Economic Forum, the governments, and all the non-governmental organizations, just go down the list. They're all pushing towards 2030. And to just keep ramping it up, ramping it up, ramping it up, the fear the doom, the catastrophes, everything. Everything is negative is going to happen between now and 2030 if we don't fix this thing. And of course, they have the fourth industrial revolution all planned for us, the AI, the transhumanism, the robots. Every, in 2030, apparently, according to them, <laughs> everything is going to existentially change for the globe and the universe and everything. So it should be fun. It's going to be quite the ride. So I wanted to bring that to you today because, again, these are their words. These are not mine. These are the, quote, elites, the world leaders, the world thinkers, the people who are driving all of this into our lives, who are trying to dictate to us this is how we should go. And it is a goal of theirs. And for me personally, my view is they're all crazy. They're all nuts. We should avoid them at all costs and we should live our own lives and we should determine for ourselves how we think. We should determine how our lives run. We should know what the truth is. We should know how to recognize the truth and we should not allow these people to come in and just whether it's through implants or whether it's through drugs or whether it's through manipulation or whether it's through fear or however they are trying to get to you and me to make us conformist, docile citizens who just go along for the ride, just allow this stuff to happen and just bulldoze over us. And we go in either willingly or kicking and screaming, which appears to be the goal. It's our job to not let that happen. And so when people say to me, well, this is, it's all crazy. All this stuff you're talking about is nuts. It's not there. You're chasing ghosts. It's a boogeyman in a closet. 
I occasionally like to bring out their own words, and you be the judge. You decide. You decide whether I'm making too much out of it, whether Brandon and I are making too much out of it, and maybe you think we are, and that's that's your choice. I hope you're doing it critically, and I hope you're looking into it. I can provide any of these clips for you if you would like them. Just be specific. Email me down the rh at protonmail.com, down the rh at protonmail.com. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this and anything else you would like to talk about or any questions you have, feel free to email us. Well, that's it for me today. Brandon and I will be back on Sunday. And in the meantime, I hope you have a great week. I'm Big D, and I'm out of here.